Specialty Stories, session number 62. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast is here to tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. My job here on this podcast is to help educate you on what is out there in the world. As you go through your training, if you're a pre-med right now, a medical student, as you go through your training, you will likely be in an urban academic medical center. Yes, there are some medical centers, some schools that don't fit that classification, but the majority of training out there is in urban academic medical centers. But the majority of medicine isn't practiced that way. So my job is to bring you specialists from the community, from more of the rural areas, from the academic areas, from every nook and cranny of medicine and surgery out there. Today is no different. I have a community-based joint replacement orthopedic surgeon who has come on the podcast to talk about why he chose going into joint replacement surgery, why he chose the community versus an academic setting, and so much more. We have Dr. Brock Howell, who is a community-based joint replacement specialist, an orthopedic surgeon who has been out of fellowship now for two and a half years. Brock, when did you realize not only that you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but also a joint specialist? Well, uh, I'll be honest, uh, throughout my third year, uh, through my clinical training, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I think I was between the major two categories, between medicine and surgery, I definitely felt going in that I was on the surgery train, just didn't know what type of surgery I wanted to do. Uh, I thought I had a uh, pretty big interest in plastics. I did a bunch of research in plastic and reconstructive surgery. Um, but really, when it boiled to the, the two surgery rotations that I enjoyed the most were one was gynoc, which was uh, something I never thought I would enjoy. And then orthopedics. And uh, the reason why I kind of gravitated towards orthopedics was it's you know a type of surgery where you have a a problem that's very uh, tangible. You see a broken bone, and then at the end of the case, uh, the broken bone is fixed as opposed to things in medicine or things in GI or something like that where you tinker a little bit and kind of have to wait for your results. At the end of the case, I can look at the C-arm image and say, okay, it's fixed, and you get to walk out. And So there's some instant gratification there. It's funny you mentioned gyne-onc because as I was going through the process, I was ortho 100% the way. And then there was something about my OBGYN rotation that I'm like, this is kind of interesting. But no, absolutely. at the end of the day, I was like, no, ortho. And then obviously the Air Force right. said different. Right. Um, when you are evaluating all these different fellowships and everything else. There's a lot of mm-hmm. different fellowships. For Absolutely. What do you think led you to joints versus something like sports or uh, spine or something different? Well, uh, 
joint replacement surgery kind of had the best mix of you know getting to do a big surgery a joint replacement surgery is a big surgery uh it's not necessarily uh a giant acetabular fracture surgery but it's a big surgery and at the same time it's not a small surgery it's not a carpal tunnel it's not a trigger finger and so uh you still got to walk away and look at an x-ray and say you know i've really changed that person's life there with this x-ray and you know, you can do it in an hour or less, um, and it's it's not a scope procedure where you're pretty much just looking at sutures and suture anchors, and you're tying stuff down, and you're kind of saying, "Well, I hope this makes this person better." And so, uh, and and seeing the patients before and after in the clinic, you know, we'll come in on walkers, canes, wheelchairs, not able to walk, just miserable, and then see them after surgery where they're able to return all to all the activities they want to do, pain free, and enjoy life again. There was something positive about that. And that's just kind of what gravitated me towards uh, joint replacement surgery. What traits do you think lead to an orthopod being a good joint replacement doc? Uh, for joint replacement surgery, uh, you, know, you have to, you have to be comfortable around, uh, you know, a middle-aged older population because that's what you're dealing with. And some circumstances you have to be real patient uh, when it comes to those types of patients. It's not your weekend warrior. It's somebody who wants to really kind of sit and talk. They want to usually try conservative therapy for a really long period of time before they want to move forward with surgery. Uh, so these all these patients are like small annuities that you just have to trust and build time with, and eventually they'll pay off. Um, and so uh, and you just have to be really kind of sometimes willing to go in and just say, what the hell, um, we're just going to make this work. So you have to be able to kind of ad-lib and be comfortable ad-libbing at times because sometimes in big revision surgery, you're not necessarily knowing what you're getting into and you just have to be comfortable getting into a giant mess and trying to figure, figure a way to get your way out. For somebody who might not know what revision surgery means, what is? can you briefly mention what so that is? So revision surgery is where a patient has already had a joint replacement, uh, and for whatever reason, that joint replacement has failed, uh, whether it's gotten infected, whether the parts have come loose, uh, whether it's just for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance, it was just poorly done, and the patient's having... Um, big problems with it. And a lot of times you have to go in and go where someone else has been before, which one is always scarred in and difficult to kind of see your normal anatomy. And a lot of times you have to get implants out of the bone, whether they're uh, grown into the bone, like in most hip surgery, or whether they're cemented in place, you have to get implants out and deal with extensive bone loss and having to put new implants in and use different types of implants than your normal primary or first time having joint replacement surgery. And so it's big surgery. It can be tough. Uh, and, you know, you can run into a, a lot of things real fast and just kind of have to think on your feet to get your way out. For patients who are getting a a joint replacement for the first time, what are some of the reasons why a, a patient would need a replacement? Well, uh, obviously, if they're having joint replacement, they have some sort of arthritis in the joint, whether it's uh, a just primary degenerative osteoarthritis or if it's something post-traumatic. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, they've lost their cartilage, they're, they're quote-unquote bone-on-bone. And I tell patients, uh, this isn't heart disease. 
This isn't cancer. It's not going to kill you. If you didn't have a joint replacement, you'll live. You're not going to die. And so I don't try to rush anybody into it. There's no reason to push someone into the replacement if they're not ready for it. Uh, and uh, most of the patients come in complaining that they're not able to do the activities they want to do. Uh, they can't go walk anymore. They can't play tennis, things like that. And I just tell them, hey, look, your x-rays show you have enough arthritis, uh, at least visually, to necessitate a joint replacement. And it's just up to you when you want to do it. So when you have more bad days and you have good days and you're, and you're not able to enjoy life, you'll know it. You'll come to me and we'll, we'll get it done. Now, you're in a community setting. Was there any decision algorithm for you to choose community practice versus an academic setting? Well, a lot of it had to do with uh, geography to family. Um, I'm, I'm in the, my hometown, uh, which I grew up in. My wife's family is less than two hours away over near Atlanta. Uh, and also, at the same time, most university setting practices, you're an employee, and you, know, you could have a whole podcast on employee versus private practice model, but I opted a little bit more for the private practice model where I get to control things more on a day-to-day basis than I would be in a um, private, or I mean, sorry, in an academic practice. And your practices are very different, um, private practice versus academic. In a private practice, joint replacement surgeon, you're going to do, obviously, a lot of primary joint replacements, and you will do revision surgery, but... uh, your majority of your cases are going to be primary. A lot of times, academic uh, re- joint replacement surgeons do a higher percentage of revision cases than they do primary cases. And a lot of times, that's because they're paid differently than a private practice surgeon would be. And the uh, revision cases take more time. And, you know, in some instances, I can get three primary surgeries done in the same amount of time it would take to do a big revision and really not get paid significantly very much more for a revision surgery than a, a primary surgery. So while I do do a fair number of uh, revision procedures, I'm not doing as many as I would in a um, academic setting. Describe a typical day. Typical day, um, I usually get up between 5 and 5.30, um, go to the hospital to round if I have patients over there. Uh, Mondays, uh, Monday and Tuesday of half day office days. We'll see between 25 to 35 patients in a morning. Go do uh, elective cases either at the surgery center or uh, I'll have time to do maybe one or two joints on a Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday is my big uh, surgery day. So I'll do five to six total joints that day. Uh, and then every other Wednesday I take call. So I leave my Thursday mornings open. Uh, to do call cases versus uh, other elective or non-emergent trauma cases, ankle fractures, wrist fractures, and Friday is the the real kick in the in the nether regions, and I'll do an all day <laughs> session of office on Friday. Uh, so I end I end the I end I end the week on a high note of just staying in the office all day. As a joint replacement specialist, what percentage of your surgeries are actually doing joints? Uh, let's see. I would say right now I am about probably maybe between 60 and 70 percent uh, joints. And the rest of it is either being a joint surgeon, I'll get a lot of knee pain. And so while sometimes knee pain doesn't necessarily end up in 
in a joint replacement, it can end up in an e-scope. Uh, and I also take a fair amount of calls, so I'm doing a lot of call cases too. And I'll do an occasional carpal tunnel or uh, something like that. I try to stay away from the rest of the other surgeries. My main surgeries are joint replacement, probably 70% of the time, arthroscopy of the knee, um, maybe 5% of the time, and the rest of the time, trauma cases. Now, a lot of students going into surgery think it's every patient you see, you're going to operate on. What percentage of patients that you see in clinic do you actually take eventually to the operating room? You know, with joint replacement, you know, I think it would be difficult to necessarily say. I would say most patients that show up in my office with arthritis are going to end up with a joint replacement. It's just a matter of when. Some of them say, I'm sick and tired of this. Can you do it today? Some patients say, oh, I don't want surgery. I want you to try to make me better without surgery. And you end up injecting them for two years before you do a surgery on them. So I would say most patients that show up with pretty significant arthritis have surgery. Um, And so it's just a matter of when. Do you feel like you have enough time for family and other stuff outside of the hospital? Yes, uh, you know, I do. I mean, some some weeks are tougher than others. I'm very lucky to be married to a wonderful wife. Uh, she's an optometrist who works part-time, and I have three boys, one that's five, one that's three, and one that's four months. Oh. So a lot of times it is tough, uh, but uh, outside now that I've become partner in my group, I don't work very many weekends, and so I have the weekends and have most nights to come home whenever I'm done uh, and wrestle. Uh, you know, there's some weeks where – you're on call the weekend before and you're you spend all weekend at the hospital and you have leftover cases to do where you're getting in late the rest of the week the following week but most of the time i have more than plenty of time to do everything i need to do what does the training path look like to become a a joint specialist well uh all orthopedic surgeons do five years of residency uh and so after you're done with the residency you do a joint replacement Uh, fellowship and it's another year after that so it's a total of six years of postgraduate training after medical school how competitive is it to match into joints you know it's 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 i think on average um you know average competitiveness i mean there are a handful of people who go through every year who don't match uh but i think there may be one to two spots at least when I went through open at the end of match. And so I would say that uh, most everybody who goes through it matches. It just depends on where they match and if it was high up on their list or not. If uh, a resident or a med student is listening to this who wants to be a joint surgeon, what should he or she be doing to be competitive? Uh, well, I would say, I mean, the the, the common answer is going to be try to get some research done, try to, Try to do as much as you can joint replacement um, wise, but I think more than anything is you need to figure out. Uh, just like in residency fellowship, it's uh, it's a game trying to match where you want to match, trying to get into the residency you want to get, and so see if your anybody in your faculty, your program has any sort of connections to certain places that you want to go. A lot of people know people, and all it takes is picking up the phone call. I mean, picking up the phone and calling uh, a buddy that your your fellowship director or your 
program director may have, and that can get you a spot. But, you know, you do your research, do well on all of your services that you work on. Don't just care uh, only about joints and don't be a bad resident when you're on trauma or something like that. Just be a great resident and do some research and figure out a way to make the connection you need to make. For the osteopathic student listening to this, I think mm-hmm. I think orthopedics is one of the the last strongholds where there's still a little bit of a negative bias towards DOs. What have you seen going through all of your training and now out in practice with DOs? Uh, as far as MD versus DOs, yeah. I've been around plenty of DOs um, that were great orthopedic surgeons. I can think of uh, some very prominent orthopedic surgeons in the joint replacement field that are DOs. To me, I don't think it really matters. Uh, MD versus DO in my eyes, obviously, there's some bias there and it's harder for uh, DOs to sometimes match into competitive uh, fields or fellowships, but at the same time, there's some very friendly DO programs out there in orthopedics, and there's some straight up nothing but DO uh, programs to match into. And then, and then you just get out there with everybody else and do well on your OITE. And what do they have to complain about? I, uh, I think DOs shouldn't be discouraged at, and go for it. I know the fellowship I did. There have been plenty of DOs that have done that same fellowship. Good. Once you become a joint specialist, are there even further opportunities to subspecialize? Uh, you know, uh, possibility. There's um, there's a joint uh, a hip preservation fellowship uh, that's out there uh, that kind of gets you into the realm of doing hip scopes uh, and maybe hip resurfacing. Uh, so there is that that uh, path you could go. Some joint fellowships uh, like Wash U and University of um, Salt out in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah. They they have uh, they specialize in a little bit of some periacetabular osteotomy work in the in the face of patients with like hip dysplasia and femoral acetabular impingement. So those are some things you could specialize in even further into joint replacement. I know that. All the hip pain that I see, if I did do some hip scopes, uh, then I would have some more business than I have now. But it's mm-hmm. just whether or not you really want to get into the business of doing hip scopes, because that really changes your patient population and probably the percentage of patients that actually get better. A lot of students might think hip replacements equals hips and knees, but we're replacing a lot of other things these days. What what? options do we have for parts of our body we can replace Uh, these days so i really only do hip and knee replacement but as far as joints that can get replaced uh foot and ankle specialists replace ankles uh i replace hips and knees uh there are uh joint replacements in the spine actually everybody usually thinks of spine fusion but there are cervical disc replacements that can be done uh there are Different, two different types of shoulder replacements, or actually three. If you keep count hemiarthroplasties, you can uh, do a total shoulder, reverse shoulder hemiarthroplasty. You can replace elbows uh, that hand surgeons typically do as well. And uh, though not very commonly used, there are wrist replacements. And actually, 
uh, interphalangeal joint uh, replacements that can be done. So really every major uh, <laughs> joint out there, uh, someone's tried replacing it. Yeah, that's awesome. For the future primary care doc listening to this, mm-hmm. what do you wish primary care docs knew about your job and joints to better take care of their patients? Uh, well, one thing I would I would tell is to don't be afraid to treat the joint replacement patient conservatively. Uh, You know, there's nothing magic about me sticking a needle in somebody's knee and injecting some steroid or injecting some uh, visco supplementation. Um, But, you know, I obviously don't mind doing that, but uh, they could be doing it and could be doing it well and helping a patient. um, And then they could send the patient to me when the they've ended up failing conservative care. Uh, They should also know that uh, joint replacement patients can lead totally normal lives after joint replacements. This isn't doing joint replacements in the 80s where you did a joint replacement and told a patient that they really needed to sit in the chair as much as possible. I don't put any restrictions on my patients. Uh, They can go back to doing whatever they can do and want to do. And so a joint replacement isn't a signing up for sedentary lifestyle the rest of their life. And I don't mind doing it on younger patients. Uh, they don't have to be 80 years old. If you're 50 years old and you understand that the joint may not necessarily last the rest of your life, but I'm able to get you back doing all the things you enjoy and want to do and you can enjoy life, people are usually more than welcome uh, to uh, sign up and, and with the possibility of 20 years from now having to have a revision. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Uh, you know, my practice is built of mainly uh, general orthopedic surgeons, uh, but usually with the, the amount of trauma I do at my facility, I work hand-in-hand hand with a lot of the anesthesiologists as well as the general surgery trauma doctors. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for joint specialists? Well, as you can imagine, being a joint specialist, uh, I have a plethora of different companies uh, to use, and each company has different implants to use, and so they're always looking for joint surgeons who do a lot of joints, who have an experience doing joints to come in and help them design better implants, design better instruments to put the implants in with, or help teach courses where you're teaching uh, surgeons who may have not done a joint replacement fellowship how to use their products uh, better and what opportunities those products present to patients. And so um, there are a lot of design um, and teaching opportunities available in joint replacement surgery. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into joints? Uh, That not everybody does great. You know, even with the best of intentions, uh, you can go in and do a joint replacement surgery, and for whatever reason, a patient may not be happy with it, even though everything is on x-ray and everything by all the other parameters uh, look great. So uh, occasionally you'll get a patient that, whether you did the surgery or they're coming to you for a second opinion, has a case of the looks great but feels bad. And uh, yes, those are sometimes the hardest patients to try to help. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where 
we we find a protein or something in the blood that would determine who these patients are? <laughs> well, there actually have been some uh, some studies done uh, that show uh, characteristics of certain patients that won't do well after joint replacement surgery, no matter what. Uh, there are a couple studies out of Mayo. One, if you looked at a patient's uh, allergy list and the higher number of uh, allergies associated that the patient listed, the lower patient satisfaction scores and other scores were uh, post-surgery. And then there was also a study done where uh, they put a blood pressure cuff on a patient's arm and would blow it up to like 200 millimeters of mercury and have the patient rate their pain on a scale of 1 to 10. And the patients who reported higher pain uh, with the blood pressure cuff on actually uh, had some of the poor poor outcomes after surgery. So that's been looked into a little bit. Yeah, interesting. What do you like the most about being a joint surgeon? Uh, I like the immediate before and after. It's really awesome to have a patient who has a horrible arthritic joint do their surgery and go see them the next day and they've already walked 500 feet and they tell tell the, tell you even though it hurts from having surgery, it still hurts less than it did before they had their surgery. That's great. What do you like the least? Uh, the least about joint replacement surgery is some of those situations uh, where patients are in a bad way, uh, whether they're coming to you with a chronic joint infection that just can't you can't get rid of or they're coming to you with a perfect x-ray, but they're telling you everything hurts and no matter what they do, you can't, it's, it's difficult to crack some of those puzzles and figure out why the patient's hurting and if it's legitimate, if it's not, that, that can be a struggle. For somebody who is eight years removed or eight, or eight years uh, before becoming a joint replacement specialist, what mm-hmm. major changes are coming to the field that you see that they should know about? Uh, well, 3D printing is uh, two, well, I would say two things, 3D printing and robotic surgery. Uh, 3D printing has been huge for joint replacement surgery for multiple reasons. Uh, a lot of the implants we use, uh, the bone actually incorporates themselves into the backside of the implant. That's called a press fit implant. And we've been able to use 3D printing to actually pr- print on the back of these implants actual um, trabeculae that uh, you would see in a normal bone mm. uh, that improves the quality of on, uh, ingrowth onto the implant. We've also started designing custom implants that are shaped just like an individual's patient's uh, knee uh, was shaped instead of using a off-the-shelf one size or one shape fits all implant uh, that's out there. And now robotic surgery has uh, kind of started to push uh, towards the front where you can get a scan of a patient's affected joint, uh, plan the surgery ahead of time, get into surgery and um, take the knee or hip through a range of motion, stressing it, and then make adjustments to your plan uh, before you actually make a single bone cut. And then a robotic arm with a saw attached to it guides you and makes sure you make the bone cuts exactly how you planned it before surgery uh, just to make sure everything is as precise as possible. Um, and uh, that's also the implant that system's also used for total hips 
and partial knee replacement. I actually used it today for a uh, total hip replacement. It's it's really exciting technology. It's funny you you mentioned at the very end that it's exciting technology. I almost I wonder if there are some some old school orthopods out there that that see it as um, turning it more into a technician job than a, a surgeon. That's why uh, those those I would say you got to be able to roll with the punches. You have to be able to go with the times. Old orthopedic surgeons that uh, see some of the newest technology out as becoming a technician need to realize uh, they may have been pioneers in their field at one point. We're nothing but a bunch of bone carpenters, and <laughs> you know we just need to try to develop ways to make sure that we're making our carpentry cuts or things like that as accurate as possible. And it, and it's all in the name of uh, hopefully a better outcome for the patient. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a joint replacement specialist? Uh, you know, I ask that myself that question all the time. I mean, in, on the days where you have patients walking in, crying you and bringing you gifts and uh, because you made their life so much better than absolutely. And then there are the days where, uh, you feel like you've done your absolute best and the patient isn't necessarily happy with their uh, joint and that's a that's a tough day and so you got to take the good with the bad but uh, out of everything in orthopedics I think I would still stick with joint replacement surgery. Any last words of wisdom for a med student or even a resident who's interested in joint replacements? Uh, med students uh, I would say uh, make sure you try everything but if you really have your heart set on something, early. Uh, try to get in, involved in that specialty, whether it's orthopedics or OBGYN or plastics or whatever it is. Try to get involved as early as you can. Um, work hard. Try to do as well as you can on step one and um, just get involved in what you're interested in because that's always going to help when you're on the interview trail trying to get into residency. And as far as residents go for joint replacement surgery, um, try to do well and all your rotations. Uh, so you can ask anybody for a letter and then try to figure out where you want to go and what type of fellowship you want to do. Do you want to do a fellowship where you watch another surgeon operate for a year? Do you want to do a fellowship where you do all the operating for a year? Or do you want something kind of in between and see if you have any connections to programs like that and start working on those connections? All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Brock Howell, a community-based orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement surgery. If you're thinking about joint replacement surgery, hopefully this podcast will be helpful for you. If you're interested in orthopedics, hopefully this will open up your eyes to some of the specialties out there for orthopedics. And the question I love to ask if you're a primary care doc, hopefully this will help you take care of your future patients even better. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. 